Larry in the house. How you doing, Larry? Unmute. Turn your daggum un- mic un- Unmute yourself. I swear this is like the freaking Three Stooges every night. How come you guys mute me? You mute yourself Wait, because there's four people in the chat and you came in late. Please. March 27th, 2013. This is episode 48 of Yats. It's yet another tech show every week right here Wednesday evenings. Yetanothertechshow.com. That's our site. Check it out. I'm Matt Lee. Joining me this fine evening, we got Ant Pruitt. What's up, Ant? Mr. Lee, what's happening? We got Chris Miller. How you doing, Chris? I am wonderful. How are you? I'm great. We got Mike Rothman. What's up, Mike? Hey, I'm just good here in the San Francisco Bay Area. Good to be back with you. We are sans Larry Press this evening. We sent out a search party. Perhaps Yad will find him in a well somewhere, and it's his wife will be dog. like, what's what's that, Yad? Larry's stuck in the well. Oh, goodness. <laughs> We're going to feel really bad if that's really what happened, but probably Lassie, not. Go get help. <laughs> <laughs> go to Google Plus and send out an SOS. Send out what a is it, boy. What is it? Okay. <laughs> send out a mood update. Sad face. So tons of tech news to get to. Uh, we should mention we're on Stitcher Smart Radio now. Just added a new button to the site at yetanothertechshow.com. Right under the subscribe via either the RSS or iTunes. Now you can listen to us on the fly over at Stitcher Smart Radio. So definitely check that out and if you've noticed uh, for the show notes each of the episodes we've been adding the hangout rerun I know some of you guys like to watch the actual video sometimes we show stuff there that it's kind of hard to get if you're just listening so uh, you can check that out with the show notes over on yet another tech definitely I've been told that if you give us reviews in iTunes that helps more people find the show I don't know how that works exactly I don't know how Apple's algorithms work exactly, but that's how it works. So please, if review you, and rate. If you enjoy the show, definitely review and rate. We appreciate it and hang out with us throughout the week over on the Google Plus community. Of course, links to all the social networks and everyone else's stuff is on the site. So uh, let's start out with some security stuff. The biggest DDoS yet in history of of all that has ever been DDoSed, bigger than when Anonymous went mano a mano with the Church of Scientology, bigger than when PayPal got dropped, perhaps bigger than, I don't know, who else has gotten? (laughs) There's so many DDoSes (laughs) that happen. There's so many botnets on the internet, and, I mean, it only increases. Uh, Mike Boudet. Mike Boudet, (laughs) Mr. DDoS himself, (laughs) Mike Boudet. Uh, I forget what it was exactly. They were saying something in the neighborhood of 300 billion bits per second is what this reached uh, at its at its height. 
I don't quite follow your math, but I know they say 300 gigabits. 300. It says the so-called DDoS, and this is off the New York Times here. Uh, they have reached previously unknown magnitudes, growing to a data stream of 300 billion bits per second. So that's crazy. That's insane. Uh, but what what are y'all's thoughts on this on the whole premise behind this? Well, what's what what are they saying here? That it's it's the biggest one, and that overall. Things like this slow down the internet for everybody, not just the site that's being attacked. And I don't know if you can go to, I know there's a site called Internet Pulse that kind of monitors uh, the major internet backbones. I don't think that they have a search function. It's been a long time since I've been there, but uh, I don't know if you can go back to the day that this DDoS happened and see if any of the major backbones were in the red. Uh, it would be kind of interesting to to see that. Uh, the dispute That's a here. Cool service. I've never heard of that until you mentioned it today. Yeah, yeah. Internet Pulse. I think it's .net. It was back in the day. Like I said, it's been ages since I've been there, but definitely uh, it monitors all that stuff. It's kind of cool. Uh, the dispute here it says started when this anti-spam fighting group, who is called Spamhaus, added a Dutch company called Cyberbunker to its blacklist, which is used by email providers to weed out spam. You all know uh, how blacklisting works. Uh, Cyberbunker, named for its headquarters, which is a five-story former NATO bunker, they offer hosting service to any website, quote, except child porn and anything related to terrorism. So they're out there just giving harbor to anybody unless you're a ped or a terrorist, <laughs> basically. So, okay. Uh, spokesman for Spamhaus, which is based in Europe, said the attacks began on March 19th but had not stopped the group from distributing its blacklist. And then we have Patrick Gilmore, who's the chief architect at Akamai Tech. He's, uh, he said that Spamhouse's role was to generate a list of Internet spammers. Uh, he said about Cyberbunker that these guys are just mad. To be frank, they got caught. They think they should be allowed to spam. And so uh, Mr. Gilmore, he said uh, about the attacks, he kind of describes what a DDoS is. You know, swarms of, of computers called a botnet concentrate the data streams that are larger than the Internet connections of certain countries, <laughs> even. Uh, it's, he, he likened the, the technique, which uses a long-known flaw in the Internet's basic plumbing, to using a machine gun to spray an entire crowd when the intent is to kill one person. You're basically just throwing as many packets at the at the target IP uh, basically as you can. And if you don't know, DDoSing uh, is a really good way to get in trouble. <laughs> Especially if you're not smart about how you're DDoSing and if you're using the low orbit ion cannon. Also a great way to get arrested. As That's a um, pretty pretty nice analogy. I, would, I never thought about it like that. Mm. You know, normally I just <clears throat> think of it as you're trying to get uh, several hundred thousand people through one door of a house that, you know i could give you another analogy something involving a golf ball and a garden hose and suction <laughs> anyway <laughs> um in the past blacklisted sites have retaliated against spam house with ddos uh in which they flood all of the spam house with uh, traffic requests from computers until the servers are unreachable but in recent weeks the attackers hit back with a far more powerful strike that exploited the Internet's core infrastructure called DNS. We all know what DNS is. Uh, if 
I assume you know if you're listening to this show, but I guess a quick rundown is the DNS is basically the Internet's phone book. You can't remember IP addresses, so you can remember domain names. Uh, The DNS servers take the domain name you typed in, they cross-reference it to their database, and they say it's this IP, and they send the the traffic along. So uh, how did they exploit DNS to do this? Did they use actual DNS servers to hit? I mean, that, that's kind of crazy if they did. Uh, the systems function like a telephone switchboard for the Internet also. Good analogy. <laughs> <laughs> they usually po- poison some DNS servers, too, to reroute traffic. So right. no matter what site you're hitting, you're getting the address you want to. And it says millions of computer servers around the world perform the actual translation. Uh, so in this incident, attackers sent messages masquerading as ones coming from Spam House to the DNS machines, which were then amplified drastically by all of the servers, causing torrents of data to aim back at Spam House. So basically, it sounds like they hit the DNS servers, uh, they, the, the uh, bad people, let's say, or what's their name, Cyber... Uh, Cyber, was it cloud cyber cyber bunker? bunker. Okay, so cyber bunker bunker hits a DNS server with a ping request. Let's say hypothetically, uh, with the return IP being that of Spam House. So they do this on a massive scale. All of a sudden, Spam House is getting hit with all of these requests, and boom goes the dynamite. So, so I think I follow what's happening here, but what I'm not clear on is, uh, is, you know, th- this is happening far off in Europe. I mean, these two companies are based in Europe. Right, but because it, of the infrastructure having, of the internet. It's a global effect. Exactly, yeah. because of the and way the internet. And traffic that is some multiple of traffic higher than anyone's ever seen before on the internet. Mike, they're basically producing the equivalent of the cosmic microwave background radiation that we see. Like, we're just, they're creating all of this noise that is just flooding yeah. the internet, and our signals are tr- are getting caught up in that noise, you know? So it's making it hard for everyone to use the internet. So I guess my question is, how fragile is this internet if... You know, some guys out in uh, on another continent can kind of produce this kind of mayhem. Well, did you? Let me ask you this: Did you notice the internet slow down between March nineteenth and March twenty sixth? Let's say yesterday. Because I no, didn't. honest, honestly, I haven't. I didn't either. So the internet must be resilient enough to do something. And who knows? Maybe, maybe only those using that backbone and the DNS servers that were being attacked would have noticed a, a drastic slowdown. The rest of us maybe noticed slower uh, late or higher latency, longer ping times and whatnot, just because of the overall noise being added to the existing noise that's already there. But unless you're interacting with those particular servers, I don't think you, you would have noticed it. But I don't know. I'm just speculating. <laughs> That's, I'm just talking out my butt. <laughs> well, apparently the effect is measurable, though, because an awful lot of people report noticing it or report uh, inability to connect in various ways. Right. I mean, it's, it must have been large enough because the uh, New York Times took notice of it, and that's, I don't know, that's something, isn't it? Well, I mean, it's in the New York Times, it's on the PBS NewsHour, it's in the LA Times. It's it's one of these internet uh, 
uh, security stories that has has broken into the mainstream. Right, and I I just checked the internet pulse, and you can only look at the last twenty four hours. So, and according to the last twenty four hours, everything's okay. <laughs> so I I don't know. <laughs> um, I don't know if there's a way to really see or to tar uh, find out which uh, DNS regions were affected by that or what. But kind of interesting that that this happened. You know, but where, where do you guys stand with this? Because Cyber Bunker, they're just housing whatever other than pedophiles and terrorists, right? Right. Now, well, the whole reason... legitimate people that aren't, quote-unquote, spam-worthy? You know, what if they're just housing someone that's just sort of not able to pay X amount of dollars, but they can go to Cyber Bunker and it's cheaper and be able to host But that's not the problem. And... That's not the problem. The problem is... This company getting pissed that they got called out for shady spam and they got hit. I don't necessarily agree with the the mode of of doing that, but it's the internet, man. That's how so the, it so goes. Proof if you're going to engage, spam is theirs. Well, that's what it sounds like. And again, there we're just speculating here, but from the sound, from what comes out of the article, it. I. I mean, yeah, I, I would say so. Because I mean, because I could, you could easily. And this assume. is here. This th- this guy, uh, he says basically, kind of uh, what what you're saying. Like who's who's who determines who's in charge of this? And this guy's name is Sven Kampfius. He's just a, an internet activist who said he was a spokesman for the attackers. Okay, so he says we are aware that this is one of the largest DDoS attacks the world has publicly seen. Which I like the the use of the term publicly there. So there's some some <laughs> private DDoSs that you don't maybe necessarily need to know about. Uh, he says that Cyberbunker was retaliating against Spam House for quote abusing their influence. Nobody ever deputized Spam House to determine what goes and does not go on the internet. They work themselves into that position by pretending to fight spam. So they say that uh, a typical uh, DOS, a denial of service attack, tends to affect only a small number of networks. But uh, in the case of a domain name system flood attack, the data packets are aimed at the victim from servers all over the world, uh, which you can't easily stop uh, because the servers can't be shut off without halting the Internet. These are the domain servers. These aren't uh, my computer and your computer with some malware uh, as a part of a, a larger botnet, spamming these guys with packets. These are them taking over domain name servers, which run the internet or run our our addressing system. At least, how do you how do you fix that? You know, you can't shut them off unless you replace them. I mean, you can make sure your security is up to to snuff. Your uh, DNS sec is a little better, so people aren't taking over your DNS computers, but. I mean, you can only do so much, right? Yeah. I mean, I'm not a security <laughs> guy, but you can only... If someone codes it, someone else can break it. Like, that's the rule. That's If a human makes it, a human can break it, you know? Now, they say the heart of the problem, according to several internet engineers, is that many large internet service providers have not set up their networks to make sure that the traffic leaving networks is actually coming from their own servers. Let's welcome Larry Press, fashionably late. Larry in the house. How you doing, Larry? 
unmute Turn your daggum uh, mic. Un- unmute yourself. I swear this is like the freaking Three Stooges every night. How come you guys mute me? You mute yourself because there's four people in the chat and you came in late. I'm sorry, you guys. It's My okay. just came in from South America. Hey, no I- problem. No problem. We're talking about the world's largest DDoS attack that happened between Spam House and Cyber Bunker. So uh, feel feel free to chime in uh, whenever. Uh, so they say that the number one rule of the internet is that it has to work. That's Dan Kaminsky, security researcher, who years ago pointed out the inherent vulnerabilities in the domain name system. So obviously this is known. Uh, he says, quote, you can't stop a DNS flood by shutting down those servers because those machines have to be open and public by default. The only way to deal with this problem is to find the people doing it and arrest them. Uh, so the the engineers say that you know this is this is how this works. That it's the ISP's fault for not setting up the networks to make sure the traffic leaving the servers is actually coming from those users that are in their their farm there. Uh, the potential security flaw has long been known by security specialists, but has only been recently exploited in a way that threatens the Internet infrastructure. You, you know, the other interesting angle on this story is is if this can be done by, you know, two warring gangs of hackers, what can, you know, the combination of China, Iran, and North Korea do if they put their mind to it? Hmm. And what's going to happen to the rest of us? We're just kind of caught up in the in the crossfire, you know. We're going to be sitting here without being able to get into our bank accounts or Any, mail accounts or anything else that we rely on. But I mean, I be able and to cut the cord then either. And huh. obviously, if this gets worse, I mean, something will be done with it. They've known about this this problem for years. You know, maybe it's time yep. when IPv6 gets pushed more publicly. Maybe that's time to start fixing DNS. What do you think, Chris? You got any thoughts on this? No, don't wait for IPv6. You should fix your DNS now. This the DNS is the you know one of the root problems and also one of the root driving forces of how the internet works. If you don't fix your DNS now, you're stupid. No. It's, it's You have to have it for everything to work properly. Think about all the sites you go to that it's there and says, can't find the address or can't do whatever. It's a bad DNS server somewhere. So imagine taking all of those down. Unless you can memorize, think about this, you can't even memorize IPv4 addresses. Imagine trying to memorize IPv6 addresses to find the sites you want. Right. It's not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. So you, most people can't even remember their phone number to their cell phone anymore. They have no idea what their, their friend's phone numbers are, nothing. It's all based upon their name. So it's the same as the Internet, right? Once you remove that part, the Internet breaks, and those guys know it that are doing the attacks. Yeah. Was, was there something different about this attack than any other DDO, uh, denial of service attack? Yeah, the main difference is that this, instead of using botnets of user computers like mine and yours, they're using domain name servers. So they're sending a request that is spoofed to a DNS, and then the DNS is sending that answer, the reply, back to Spam House because they, they fake the, the headers. So you get 100,000 computers all pinging these DNS servers with the res- re- with it coming from Spam House. They're all going to answer 
as it was do you get what I'm saying so that spam house is flooded by the DNS exactly which is why they mentioned that you can't turn them off you can't disconnect them because then you break the internet right so well it'll be interesting to see what comes of it and like like we said when uh when fire sheep happened and people's social networks were getting exploited, it forced the social networks to implement SSL everywhere. So maybe the more this happens, once somebody can't get into their bank account, that, you know, somebody important, <laughs> like, uh, then maybe somebody will fix it. And <clears throat> we should say that there are other um, alternatives out there to DNS. If you're, a normal internet user, you're using your, let's say, uh, your Comcast cable. Default is Comcast DNS servers, which maybe they're faster because they have them closer to where you live. But there's Google DNS, there's Open DNS, there's Fool DNS. I think I have a list of DNS in uh, CyanogenMod in the settings there for the network. Like you can change, and there's. DNS servers in there I've never even heard of before. Or not in CyanogenMod, it's in uh, ROM Toolbox. If you, yeah, you go... Lost me after, you lost me after um, OpenDNS. I've heard of Google and Open, but I ain't heard of that o- the other ones. Yeah, in, in ROM Toolbox, if you go to where the ad blocker used to be before Google Play <laughs> yeah. made, them, uh, made them pull it, there's a... Yeah, there's like a list of, uh, of DNS servers in there. So... There were are other options. Servers, were they malconfigured in some way, or is is this a flaw in all DNS servers? It sounds like it's a flaw in the infrastructure or the protocol itself, because it says that they've known about this flaw for a couple of years, but they can't fix it because it'll break something. I don't know. It wasn't really clear why they couldn't fix it, was it? No. Okay, so OpenDNS, FoolDNS, Norton DNS, Comcast, Level 3, Semantic, Scrubolt, DNS Advantage, BT in the UK, Virgin, Tiscal. I mean, there's OpenNIC, OpenNIC, and they're for different regions and different countries, obviously. But, right. Uh, I go with OpenDNS or Google DNS, and those seem to work the best. And yeah, if those DNS. those are going to be the companies that fix this this problem first, I think before you even see ISPs think about fixing it, they're always ISPs are going to be the last to this party, I'm sure. Well, so so the people out there, you know, here's the good understanding: is about three o'clock in the afternoon every day, uh, the cable companies' DNS servers are unavailable. As all the kids get home from school, get on the internet, get doing their thing, the DNS servers never respond to you because you're provider at home is doing it so i use google's and my right. routers at home and there's so there's good tests online that will do uh the comparison because open dns might be might have a server uh re- locationally like geographically closer to you than google dns and that that amount of distance makes a difference when you're talking milliseconds and ping time uh, across the internet so and load and lo- exactly hitting it one darn time Chris, do you notice a difference? A huge difference. Huge difference. And you can also, there's a spot for like three of them, I think, depending on what you're using. You can put in OpenDNS as the main, Google DNS as the secondary, and yours as... It prioritizes them, right? Correct. It goes in order, I believe. Yeah, Yeah, first, second. Yeah, it prioritizes based upon the order you list them in there. 
and right, what responds right. and what doesn't. Now it has to be the problem is it has to be a no response scenario. It's not just it's not oh, going to pick one, the two. fastest one. If one doesn't right. respond, it'll go to number two, but, but only if, if it doesn't wait. respond. And keep in mind though, if one is responding but slow, it will keep trying to reach that one. So exactly. Exactly. So. And I mean, you guys, we can talk about this more on the Google Plus community if if you need to know where it is because it's in different spots depending on what OS you're using. Yeah, but... though they they route dynamically based on the address. It's a pool of DNS servers. So no, I'm saying where to change it in your settings in Windows. Oh, yeah. Google, every... by the way, Google has a has some really good material up on uh, you know their help site uh, uh, about how to change over to Google DNS. Right, right. It's like were, two were dot two dot. Better... What I'm interested in, were you seeing better results with Google DNS or with Open? Where like, I live, I was seeing better results with Open. Yeah. But that I may like have the varied. The Google over here, the Google. Yeah. Got well, it. I'm with Uverse, and I can't update mine. Yes, you can. I've tried. So you found another way? It's in your home home router. In your router? Yeah. I, yeah, they, 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 I've tried it on my router, and they won't let me do it. They you have to put, force like, it. freaking warning. On there, really? Oh, you know they're not updated. And you know what they're probably doing. It doesn't matter. Is what they can do is they can override that IP back to their own DNS servers. So either way, you're stuck with them. Yeah. Good for you. Good choice. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> That's crazy. An open recursive resolvers, which is what they're calling it on this other article, uh, t- causing the floods of of traffic. So. All sorts of amazing, amazing stuff happening. I like it. What do you guys want to talk about next? Uh, Amazon? <laughs> Un- leaving some of their uh, a few data stores unsecured, maybe? You know, I picked that story. Uh, it was, it's been running in, in Gadget and elsewhere. Uh, you know, while we obsess about uh, individual accounts getting cracked and things like that, uh, this one security researcher found thousands of Amazon data stores or what, what's it on their S3 service called buckets left unsecured due to misconfiguration. And, you know, that these thousands of data stores contained something like billions of different files, uh, you know, of who knows what. Uh, a number, uh, some, a little over a thousand of the unsecured data stores were uh, open to the public. So you can imagine the possibility there that you're looking at credit card files and all sorts of other confidential personal information. Well, in these, anyway, they're kind saying of a black eye for the Amazon S3 cloud service today and- in. Uh, in gadget news, I didn't see this 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 story here. But you'd like to think that someone as big as Amazon would have all of their eyes dotted and T's crossed. <laughs> yeah, but you maybe know? I mean someone as big as Amazon has a lot of you eyes would like to, to dot. Think that. And and you know, I'm sure for the most part they do. But uh, I I think the takeaway lesson for me is the biggest security problems are. You know, not the sort of one-off problems, but where some of these massive data centers uh, somehow get left unsecured 
and you wind up with something like this going on. Well, and isn't that well, the thing? Am- Amazon has a lot of I's to dot and a lot of T's to cross, so maybe a couple of these boxes slip through the cracks, and on each box, you know, there's 5,000 accounts or so. They're saying that out of all of them, there was, uh, what, 126 billion <laughs> files containing everything from personal data hosted by social networks, uh, sales records, video game source code, unencrypted database backups. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it, it's kind of like a great big giant oops. <laughs> yeah, you could say that. Oops. Uh, uh-huh. Our bad. Sorry. Well, I mean, is it, do you think it's because they're more concerned about all of the other revenues and, 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 and all of that data that they got to deal with, with the, the, the different sellers and, and, and uh, uh, customer records and whatnot that this just got overlooked? You know. you know what I think it is? I think these things get so incredibly massively complicated. Yep, exactly. That that shit happens. <laughs> <laughs> to put it bluntly, perfect. right? It's the internet, man. It happens. It's the internet. <laughs> and we're not real good at, you know, being really really, really, really secure about everything. We're still in the early days of this stuff, gentlemen. Uh, I yeah. mean, we're 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 just a few minutes in on this episode, and hot damn, y'all are just scaring me for wanting to use the internet ever again. <laughs> I know this is the <laughs> think twice about what you put on the internet episode. My goddess, man! <laughs> DDoS, and now I can't go shopping. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm I've. I've followed both of these stories, and I'm not going to change my internet no. usage habits at all. Uh, yeah. And Chris Miller's sitting over there, fat and happy, because he's uh, he's going to be <laughs> using his his BlackBerry service, which is the last word in security. Exactly. <laughs> After I get done looking at, it, I have to show this just because the size of this thing. You guys knew about this in advance. Can I just this, say while you're showing that that BlackBerry no, this has is the, this is the BlackBerry. This is the BlackBerry. This oh, okay. Is, this is the tiny nano router I just got from TP-Link. Look at this little bit. That is cool. Wow. It's a hockey puck. Square it, hockey puck. Tiny little router. Very cool. Sorry. I just I didn't know it was that small when I opened the box. The box was huge. And a little bitty router. All That's right. what she said. Well, you know, don't talk about your personal stuff on the show. Keep hey, going. <laughs> Quit bragging. <laughs> <laughs> but going back to the BlackBerry thing, isn't it security through obscurity? They, they're not a big target, so why would anyone bother with it, with, with attacking it? Once, what? if it gets more adopted and more people use it, it becomes a target again. Right now, who's using it? Why are you even bothering targeting that when you can write an exploit in half the time and hit twice as many users? That's what it seems like to me. I don't know. They're not a big target right now. Nobody cares about right. them. More, bigger and more fish in the sea, right? Dumber users that aren't security controlled. Yes, that too. Yes. So, so Chris, you've got a new toy. I have a new toy. It arrived. Tell us about it. It looks like this on a box. Oh, Z10. <laughs> The new Z10 is in, in the hands. Uh, they sent it over, which was very nice of BlackBerry. I should say thank you to those guys. Uh, it's on the Verizon set, so we clarify that. I actually had it set on Verizon, so I could take this the stem right out of this one and pop it over into the new one and get it running. Um, I had it. Oh, Sorry, I put it behind me. 
Newsy 10, lightweight, thin. Uh, you can see the full demo we did, the, some of the hands-on, but now that I have a, you know, one of my hands I can play with a little bit. Um, I do realize that the, when you fire it up, it doesn't have a language chosen. You have to choose one, but as you scroll, it'll start doing all the errors and warnings. So right now it's giving me the battery warning in Polish. Nice, <laughs> helpful. Well, because I didn't uh, scroll up to English, which sure, I should sure. do here. Uh, English, UK, English, America. So basically it's going to be a setup mode. What we're going to do with this is connect it up to a Bez 10 server tomorrow. We were uh, setting it up today to do both sides as we talked about. But uh, I'll have this fully live tomorrow. But right now I'm already loving, again, the weight, the size, the screen real estate, the camera. Um, I'm loving this thing already. I will give them props for their camera feature when they demoed it. You know how you could go back and, and correct facial expressions and things like that. I'll give him props on that. Oh, I can read it. I chose English, and it says, Welcome to BlackBerry, and uh, emergency calls are ready. So, uh, And it's a swipe down. Uh, we'll do a full video on it. That's coming up shortly, because uh, I want to get some more you know, opening stuff from this, of course. Uh, we'll do uh, more hands-on for you guys. But, yeah. What now, what's know? general availability on that little phone, Chris? Now. Now. Now, today. Yeah, it... um. My sister got one yesterday, her and her husband. They Notice he didn't say can't. Ant didn't get one. Yeah, hell no. They got theirs from T-Mobile, and, and like I was saying on Attack of the Androids last night, they they were pumped about getting these phones. They, they cared less about getting Android or iPhone or what have you. I want to say they even have an iPad, but for their phone and, and daily driver, they wanted that Z10. and. And this is the phone that is going to be the uh, the BlackBerry Savior phone. It, it's going to have to be, right? Pretty much. Well, OS, yeah, it pretty much has to be. Well, wait a minute. They have the uh, the, the QWERTY one coming out later this year, right? Yeah, the QWERTY one will be as well. But I want to say I saw something with um, Torsten Hines saying there's some other big announcement coming, like there's another flagship device coming in the fall. You heard anything about that? I wouldn't be surprised to see them uh, another step in the puzzle, but they have the one with keyboard and one without keyboard right now. But oh, okay. the Z10 seems to be the most popular. Right. Chris, your audio is uh, kind of uh, choppy. You might uh, what? So it sounds like you might have uh, bandwidth problems. I'd probably be in ddos I don't know. <laughs> You're doing the Mr. Roboto thing. <laughs> I do not have any torrents running, Smarty. Let me see if I have anything running. It's, it's all those Android lovers. They're out to get you. <laughs> it might be. Hold on. Let me look. You got he's a not going to say publicly he's got torrents running. Come on. Uh, Something you'll. Hey, see. torrents aren't always it's illegal, and Jesus. Actually, I don't have any torrents. I don't run torrents at all. How are you going to watch Game of Thrones? Shows. How are you going to watch Game of Thrones when the new season starts the end of the week? If I only watched that show, I could answer that question. Well, how excited! None of you guys are are excited for that. I thought that was a big uh, tech nerd no. show. Really, I love that show. Yeah, no. Well, screw you guys then. Uh, speaking of Android, you want to mention Ant the uh, quick note to Evernote, Gmail, and other apps with some Android voice actions? Is this just an S thing, or is this all voice actions? Is this just a, a the Samsung? No, this is all voice. This is any anywhere that uh, you can talk. That's good. No, I I didn't see that, bro. Yeah. Uh, you start up Google now and say, oh, yeah, we talked about this last week. We thought this was a Google Keep thing. So now it will, 
If you uh, pull up Google now. Because I know you, you mentioned how Google Keep will let you dictate notes and stuff into Google now. Right. right? Well, that's the thing. If you say Google note to self, it I thought that was a Google Keep function. Is it? So this sounds like it's letting you do it to either Evernote, yeah. Catch, you, you, or Google Keep. It gives you the option of which one. This is a really cool feature of Google Now, which is right. it, it, it will take a, uh, uh, a voice note, and then as, as uh, is covered in this Lifehacker story, you can save that note to Evernote to, uh, as, an, as an email in Gmail or, uh, of course, to Google Keep. And you can imagine it's sort of going to be extensible, kind of the way Google Share is extensible for other apps that come along down the road. Hmm. It's it's exactly what I've been wanting, which is, uh, you know, I'm I'm driving, I'm talking to someone else, whatever. The ability to quickly dictate a little note to myself, uh, which in the past I would have had to handwrite. And so, by default, if you don't have any of these note apps or anything installed, it'll say if you say note to self, that action will send you an email with whatever you transcribed in the body. But if you have Evernote, Catch, or Keep installed, it gives you the option of what to put the transcription in, uh, and, and then... That yeah. is really cool. So that is way cool. And this will... Well, go ahead. I'm sorry, Matt. No, go for it. Now, last week, some folks were saying, is, is Google Keep a Evernote uh, competitor or... Or is this just going to be two different two different oranges and apples kind of thing? Well, I mean, it's a competitor in the sense that it's it, it it's a it's a blatant ripoff of the functionality of Evernote. Well, no, 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 no. Listen, in as far as basic note taking, it's it's there. But Evernote, I feel like, does a lot of different way way other stuff than what Keep is doing, and I feel like Keep. The, the true usefulness of Keep is going to show itself once people are using Glass, I, I think. I think it's going to be an integral part of that as a quick way to tag images that you want to use for later or look at your list or remind you of things that are in Keep when you're in certain locations, which is kind of stuff Evernote does now. But I, I think it's more of a an accessory peripheral for some of these uh, watches and, and Glass when it comes out. But who knows? Yeah, I think you're probably right about that. I mean, it's to me what this says is that we're seeing a lot of sort of peripheral benefits to the infrastructure that Google's put in place over the last, you know, over the last decade. Yeah, it's and one this, thing that they've – it's a simple thing that seems like, duh, they've tried it with tasks inside of Gmail. It, it's just something they haven't had. I mean, Microsoft had it. There, There's there's – uh, it's surprising that Google hasn't had one up until this point. You know, it's such like simple, basic, useful functionality that I mean, I used Gmail for that before there was Evernote, or you know, you you would use different things to basically take down a quick note, and now they have a an app for it. <laughs> I don't know, it's cool. I like it. I use it. I've taken one note so far with Google Keep, um, but I do. I would like to try to to integrate it a little more. But the problem is. I'm like some some of the Evernote folks. You sort of get stuck into that environment 
even though I'm not in Evernote. But now, think about it, Ant. This guy, isn't, and I'm trying to get out of that. Think you know? about it, though. This isn't permanent life stuff. You're using these. Well, the I would think the ideal use case is disposable, time sensitive stuff. You know, you're not you're not writing your will in Evernote. You know, you're like, well, it's some people honestly, Matt. Inside well, a spring pad, I have. You know, they let you create certain little notepads, and sure. I think I have four different categories. And one of them I use for for uh, like for for work. If I need to remember really? something specific out on the floor, I pop open SpringPad, go to the, my work notebook or what have you, and it's in there. And then of course it's replicating back to the cloud, and mm. you know if I want to get to my desk and that kind of thing. Sure. And so I'm sort of I'm sort of tied in with SpringPad right now, and I'd like to move over to to Google keep because hell they got everything else in mind. Well, and also, I mean, Evernote is kind of limited unless you're a a paying member and keep is using drive storage. So if you're like me and you got in on that five bucks a year for 25 gigs, the grandfathered plan from back in the Picasso days, like we're set, we're totally set in anything Google comes out with that uses drive for storage. You know, I think that's, that's awesome. And that's why I will use it over, over Evernote. Plus, I'm not really using the, that other a lot of the functionality Evernote does, and mm-hmm. I like the I like that this is a Google thing and it's with my other Google stuff. So yeah, I'm going to slowly try to migrate over to it and see if I can get used to it. That's but, pretty yeah, cool. I like it. I hate you and your five dollars a year. Crap. I know, isn't that brilliant? Oh man, bastard, love it. Go, go All right, get the free stuff. There's enough free stuff out there. Didn't have enough space because I used Picasa web albums for all of my pictures and I was running out of space. So I bought that plan for that because it's where I post all my pictures. But, yeah. And I've kind of kept it ever since. I mean, five bucks a year for 25 gigs. Like, that's awesome. <laughs> Especially <laughs> I, now. I, there wasn't much you could use it for back then. You know, this was years ago. Years ago. There was it was for pictures. But now I'm glad I have it because all my, you know, Google ecosystem stuff gets put in there. Right. So. I don't know. I, I'm still a dyed-in-the-wool Evernote guy. I, it's you know I've been I've been adding stuff to Evernote for years now, so it just keeps growing and growing, and it's got yeah. this great searchability, and right, it's got right. a lot of, it's got a whole um, ecosystem of supporting apps or related apps. All right. Well, let's uh, move on. You want to talk about this Adria Richards uh, debacle? I guess. I don't know. I, I don't know much about this. In on it because so. I didn't get to hear anything about that story. Yeah, me neither. Who, who's oh, whose deal is this, Chris Miller? Uh, <laughs> the short summary, because I know Adria. Um, the short story from all the public stuff. I'll read it from there is she took offense to something some guy said at the conference, uh, which was PyCon, and she. Uh, publicly took a picture of them and tweeted information back, which ended up causing, I think, Anonymous to target SendGrid. uh, This was the story about the dongles and the forking jokes. You know what you take away from this story? Nobody likes a tattletale. And I don't want to be, like, sexist, but, I mean, you're at a conference with a bunch of dudes. It's going to happen. Tattling on them on Twitter, I mean, is that helping anything? If if anything, you should have said, excuse me, I can overhear what you're saying, and that's offending me. Can you please well, stop? You, that, that you don't have to story. put them on blast immediately for a public shaming, and you did, and look what happened. Well, that was the big story. So the flip side is, and they've talked to, of course, now they've got 
lawyers that have been interviewing and everything else. But the flip side is that the guy, he was fired by his company. Uh, As was, was she, and, I believe. Yeah, he was fired by his company because he was on company time at a conference being spied by a company, and it broke the harassment uh, rules. The flip side is, though, technically she broke no rules, and SendGrid firing her kind of leaves them in the lurch. Well, now, why did they fire her? Because she used their Twitter account, or did no, she post this no. on her personal Twitter account? She posted on her personal that says she's a brand ambassador for them in her bio, but the flip side is, is that she's a, quote, evangelist, and it didn't meet their you know guidelines the way she handled but it. But now, was that representing them poorly? Because I can see the guy's behavior was representing his business poorly. Her behavior... I mean, it's not representing her business poorly. It's not really representing her business anything. It's, you know, it's her personal offense to what was being said. That doesn't really have anything to do with her company. Whereas what those guys, their behavior, they work for that company, that reflects. the When I'm at work in my day job, like, my behavior reflects on my company. And if I do well, something stupid, like, that reflects bad on my company. And, of course, now it's been taken to the next level that, you know, even publicly she's been receiving numerous threats. Uh, Why is she time. getting threats, though? The, I right. don't understand that. Going back to your original point, people are saying she shouldn't have been. For tattling? Of, yeah. It's, she it's got fired, the though. The, taking a threat, taking it to that level, that's, I don't, see, I don't agree with that. Like, she it's already got in trouble. Why are you taking it further? Like, what are you trying to accomplish? What is the point? I, I gotta I gotta step in here and and sort of disagree a little bit. I I think you know this is 2013. I think we're way past the point in time when people ought to be spouting off in public with sexist stuff, even if it is a conference of dudes. You know I I just I don't like it, and uh, it's it's disrespectful and it's demeaning, and we ought to be bigger than that. We ought to be, but Absolutely, we ought to yeah. be, but you have to remember, and I'm not making excuses for these guys, but you have to remember like that demographic. A lot of these tech guys are like younger, frat-ish kind of, I mean, that go to these conferences. That's what I picture. Maybe I'm totally wrong here, but that kind of behavior reminds me of a frat type, a bunch of young, rich dudes that are just like, you know, totally they don't flat. have consequences for their actions because of their roles or whatever. And I, I could be way off here, but and, and that's you know, not Chris, excusing them from it. But it's it's what you have to expect going to these types of things. And that's sad to, to that. That's how that is. But it is. How I don't it is. I don't think we actually know what the guys said. And so when I say they were spouting off a bunch of sexist stuff, I don't really know that was the right, case. Right. That hasn't been reported. That's exactly. what the joke sounded like from what was reported, that they were making. And he apologized. The The guy in question actually apologized. Yeah. I think for company, what he actually said? I believe in one of the reports it actually had his quotes as well as her tweets, uh, one of the articles. But he apologized and said, yeah, it, was, it wasn't proper, and I don't believe that she should be getting the threats that she's been getting and you know that's basically the way it is he's got a wife and a couple kids and whatever and says yeah i was i was wrong and i got fired but and and she whatever happens to her you know work-wise he's not worried about but it's more she shouldn't be getting threats i know, think wrong. it reflects very badly on the company that she worked for that they 
They cut her loose. It's almost but. like they're taking the guy's side and saying, oh, this behavior is yeah. totally fine. It's your, yeah. yeah, that's not right, definitely. Well, and jump back, it goes to your original thing that you started with is they were DDoS attacked. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Slowing <laughs> down the internet for everybody. Thanks a lot, guys. Yeah, they were they were attacked uh, big time. So I think I think it's that anonymous was on it, but they were actually uh, brought down to their knees too. Their servers. Jeez. It's just a big circle. So I mean, you go to a to know what the guy said. At the point I don't think it matters, matter, though, really. Like, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what was said. The fact that these guys can't behave themselves in public, the fact that maybe she gets uh, offended a little too easily for what yeah, I mean, kind of job what, what you're doing, guys, I don't know. What if they had said something totally, you know, that's not necessarily sexist? What if they could have just said, you know what, I don't like Brussels sprouts, and she turns around and goes off. Does that no. still constitute getting fired in DDoS, though, and doxed? She um, got doxed, too. Like, all of her personal information, everything. Like, that's that's kind of a in line the case that... Of Brussels sprouts, Brussels sprouts deserve uniform, uni, universal condemnation. <laughs> I think the country of Brussels would have something to say about that. <laughs> Fantastic. Um... We were kind of talking earlier about some uh, Android updates. You guys also, we talked about this on Attack of the Androids last night, but the uh, Gmail app got an awesome update. You can now swipe through messages, and they finally listened. You can now delete from the notification pane. Uh, this isn't, we, we like I said, we talked about this last night on AOTA, but it's not right there in front of you. You have to go into your general settings. You have to enable swipe conversation delete. And then give it a minute, and the next individual message you get, you should have delete where the archive option was. Oh, you left something off, though. Oh, what's that? You left off a little piece at the end. Um, and what's that? I'm trying to find it. Where was it? Oh, see, I've lost the article, so it doesn't make a difference now. Oh, well, doesn't make a difference. I lost it. In how to do it, or...? No, there was something else they added in there, too, and I can't find Oh, it. that you can swipe left or right between messages? Swiping. Who cares about swiping? I thought they added another feature. And when you select a message, it goes into edit it's mode. It's in the chat, Chris. Okay, thank you. I'll read while you all do that. Go ahead. You know, it's it's another piece. It's the Gizmodo story. It's another piece of, of nice functionality. Uh, it's been uh, some days now on the Android side, and it's just now coming to the iOS side. Gmail just gets better and better. It is quite amazing. I definitely. I finally got the update today. I didn't have it yesterday when you talked about it on Attack of the Androids. Right. Did you and see what I was talking about though? About how you have to go in and switch that in the right. in the swiping conversation settings. Right. Because I tried it at first and I was like, oh shoot, this this did absolutely nothing. I know. I did I too. I was you, like, you where is that? it? <laughs> Grr. But it was. It's been so convenient to be able oh, to just yeah. go ahead and handle that right then from the notifications and whatnot. Because I mean, I do you? Another app was doing that too. Um, what is it? Foursquare. No, Foursquare. They did that on their app with their latest update as well. They give you a few options inside of the notification bar that are really, really convenient. Yeah, the option. It's in general settings. It's called swipe conversation list, and you yep. switch that to always delete. And uh, there you have it. Which don't I don't tell, know. Let me don't ask tell you. Matt, we couldn't see that. I know it's blurry. Let me ask you guys: uh, <laughs> Do you archive or delete more often? Because personally, I archive my important stuff, but most of my mail is crap that gets deleted. So for me, it makes sense to have that quick delete option in there. I yeah, delete. 
delete. I delete a lot. I mean, delete I got all a ton around. of stuff archived, but I delete a lot more so. All right, let me let me ask a question. I'm going to take a poll of you fine gentlemen here. Yes, I am a fine gentleman. Where? Let's not where? where? Let's not push it. Now, listen. Can we just pull Ant's ego? Yes, we can, <laughs> and we'll get the same answer. How many of you keep all the messages that you send? You keep all your sent mail. Yeah, it just automatically I do. keeps it. I keep all my mail, period. It's not a choice. I actively, like, tell it to keep this, but it just happens. So I don't actively delete it. Yeah. Why do you? Yes. I, for the office, for the office, I do. I definitely keep my stuff at work yes, that I send. Yeah. I don't. Uh, I don't why, why are you asking, Chris? I was just curious because it goes against your quota and archive size. And he's talking about archiving and space and everything else. Once you archive it, it's That's still true. there, but it's not easy to clean up. But it goes against yeah. your space. But when you have twenty five gigs for five bucks a year, you can afford. Oh, to. shut it! Well, most people have what eight? Right, you're under eight gig right now. I think. Sure. Sure. Somewhere in there, but minus I, I, your docs no and photos, and you can't move it to another system like Dropbox. You can't move it to Box.net. You can't. That's a good point. But I was just curious because I don't but, keep it. Through Chris, reasons. unless you're getting massively large attachments, like how quick are you filling up eight gigs worth of email? Seriously. Well, those that are sending lots of attachments and mail for the past what mm. six years, they could easily fill up twenty-five gigs. We have users that have 40, yeah. 50, 60 gig mailboxes. You need to talk to your users about using mail better. No, I did. Listen, they're not my users. <laughs> they're users we manage and host and everything else that we just know. But, yeah, that's not, I was curious about the set because I have a different philosophy on set mail, which is why I was asking. So go ahead. Sure. You know, I mean, I understand where Chris is coming from because, you know, company I work for, we are an HR company, and you have HR representatives and legal and stuff like that. They don't delete anything. That's different. You know? Because as soon as you delete it, you're going to need it. That's the rule of HR. Incoming messages, sent messages. I mean, they got them from when they first clocked in on on their very first time, you know. I think I have about under 150 or 200 saved sent messages, and I've had the same mail file now for 16 years that I've kept that I (laughs) travel across. I have a theory. I'll make it in one sentence. The theory is it's just like regular mail. You don't make copies of everything you send. When I sent it to you, I wanted you to have it. That doesn't mean I wanted it anymore. Yeah. I don't keep a copy of every letter that I've ever mailed in my life. Why the heck would I keep one of that? I don't know why I tell it. Like it's, it's easier to keep them all than to think about which ones not to keep. That's my answer. That's a good point, too. But then you get a mess. I don't know. I like using the labels, yeah, you just, too. You search and you find stuff. I, yeah, I just had to do I'll that going over my taxes for this. times a week I search for an old message and I find it. Yeah, I don't doubt the way sure. you find it. I was just talking about keeping it. So. Yeah. yeah, no. I mean, there's the, if I would have to sit and decide, well, do I really want to delete this? I just keep everything, so it's, I don't have to put any cycles into that decision. That's and, good, because when you get older, you don't have as many cycles as you used to. you got to really think about <laughs> prioritizing those That's cycles. All right, hey. I can't remember where I heard that. (laughs) All right, before we get out of here, Larry, since you were late, take us out and tell us about Google testing white spaces in uh, South Africa and and expanding Gigabit into Olathe. Okay, Gigabit, both of those. And I hope it, I I don't want to read too much into it, but yeah, they're doing it. They're sponsoring a white spaces trial in South Africa uh, where they're doing. As I recall, something like uh, three megabit per second links to some schools, and they're uh, they've taken the Google, you know, the Google 
fiber deal in Kansas City, and they're making it available now to students of Olathe, Kansas, which is a town of about 125,000 people, uh, sort of outside. It's not a suburb of Kansas City. It's a completely separate city that you drive through the country a little bit. Now, Larry, I heard on another podcast today that they were kind of angry that, like, Google is a San Francisco company. Why aren't they using San Francisco as a test bed for this amazingly fast internet? Why are they going out into the middle of nowhere into Kansas and testing it there? And my thought was, you Frisco's too big for that much to test that network. You need a small sandbox that you can really really test before you open it up to a place that's technologically saturated like San Francisco. That's what I thought. But I was curious what you guys thought about that, Larry. Well, you know, if you recall the way that thing got started, they, they accepted it was a contest, kind of. Said they had a contest. Cities had to convince them. And, and I'm sure, actually I did some blog posts on it a long time ago, but uh, Kansas City must have given them all kinds of nice things like access to tunnels and, and uh, tax breaks, office space. And I don't know what perks they gave them. And it's like you say, it's a manageable city. It's not uh, it's not. Overwhelming Plus, like if if something bad happens, they're not going to be responsible for millions of dollars worth of you know, money from these companies whose businesses depend on this. And if they're not online, they're losing massive amounts of money. In Olathe, Kansas, if your network breaks for a couple days, you're not talking about being negative billion dollars in the hole, you know? It's a a more uh, easier test bet, I think. It's a more forgiving. Kansas City is, yeah. I don't know how they pick the, you know, there's cities between Olathe and Kansas City that are also wondering, Forget San Francisco. How come you're not in Overland Park? And do you think it has to do with where some of the dark fiber is already? Maybe there is a lot of it there, and it's easier for them to light up. Who knows? That I couldn't. I have no idea. Yeah. Lots of missing details. Lots, yeah, lots of missing details. Um, but the other question is: Does this mean Google's kind of having a good experience in Kansas City, and they want to see? You know, Olathe is a different size town. Maybe right. that's the thing they want to do is see what it's like to do 125. You know, I used to live in, I went to high school in Kansas City. And when I went to high school in Kansas City, Olathe was way out in the sticks. I mean, it was just a little town far away that you hardly ever went to. It had a lake. And uh, I don't want to go into all the details, but uh, I, from what I read in the, when I read in the sort of coverage of it, Olathe has gotten quite a bit more sophisticated and, and yuppie and uh, professional, if you will. So it may have something to do with the distribution of the people that are there, too. But th- do you guys think that Google's going to become an ISP? I hope so. Or are they just fooling around trying to needle the phone companies and the cable companies? I hope so. That would just give us more competition and just uh, one more thing for me to give them. And know? I would say if they were just fooling around, I, don't, I think they would have stopped at KC. I don't think they would have continued their expansion. That, that I think. I don't know. And think long term. Right. If, if cities, you know, maybe they're looking around and they say, hey, San Francisco is too big a thing to bite off. But how many cities like Olathe, Kansas are there in the country? And maybe they're Kalispell, Montana. Kalispell, Montana. Bring it here. How big is it? So think, think long term. Think, hot, think hotspots real quick. We can look up how many people think hotspots. You'll be able to go anywhere that Google is and log in with your Google account. 22,000 just in Kalispell. The Flathead Valley, probably 100,000, maybe. 
Okay, now life is 125,000. Right. So it's a little more of an urban area. So I have an account on the Google ISP here. I go to a hotspot that has Google. I'm able to log in with my, because they say, oh, you already have an account at where you are because we're your ISP. I can now log in with my Google account everywhere I go. One more way they hook you in, right? Yeah. Sign me up. Yeah, it's in Google's great. best interest. The more people use the internet, the faster people use the internet. It's they yeah. they like it. And would, would you pay seventy dollars a month for a symmetric gigabit? I pay sixty dollars a month. Yeah. I pay sixty dollars a month for thirty megabit down, five megabit up cable. Yeah, it's, it's cable. a no brainer if it's available. Yeah. Hell yeah. Wow. Hell is Google, yeah, is Google. Google. Is Google making money at that, though? I mean, that's the thing. Do they have to? Well, they have to. They probably can't lose a ton. No, if, if they break even, they make money on the Exactly. And devices. And, and devices, too, I guess, these days. Which enable more people to use the internet, which, as we just mentioned, Google likes. All right, uh, we're at the end of the hour, but before we get out of here, I want to talk about this. Uh, the other thing you posted, Larry, about Karna, the benign internet census botnet. This yeah. this is awesome. It's crazy. It's awesome. Yeah, isn't it cool? <laughs> it is. The only thing is, I hope the guy keeps doing it. I mean, he wants divulge who he is. Obviously. Is this the this is the Telnet open right? Is that this one or is that a different one? This is the guy that uh, scanned all of the ports for open Telnet. Not uh, only was Telnet, he was looking. Uh, shit. What was this one looking for? Looking just for Telnet. I don't recall. What um, was this one was looking it? for? What was it? What was it? Pingable IP addresses. It was some class of devices. Oh. Okay. Um, but the bottom line is, he he built a botnet not to do denial of service attacks, but to do census of the internet, and he's got cool maps of the. Uh, you know, the IP addresses distributed around the world. And it's just, um, I hope the guy will keep doing okay, it. Okay, yeah, he was port scanning uh, slash zero, which is the internet, uh, using insecure embedded devices. That was it, it was embedded devices. There right, so the scans he was looking for service the most uh, common ports like ICMP ping, reverse DNS, SYN scans. Uh, so that's, yeah, that's crazy. There's a lot of old devices online in closets that people have just completely forgotten about. When I used to do phone work for Alamon, we were contracted for Nortel Networks. Uh, we were working in Colorado doing uh, BWA stuff, broadband wireless uh, access and, and messing with antennas. And a lot of these antennas were feeding into like just the most nastiest rat infested forgotten about storage closet with like a tower in it and a wire rack <laughs> and that's it. And I just <laughs> imagine other cities that just have these things in it. And we use those things and use Telnet to access it. So I, I mean, I'm surprised that Nortel went bankrupt. First of all, <laughs> second. Yeah. There there's, I'm sure tons of these devices out there. And I mean, as the, the scans here reveal, I mean, billions, right? Billions. This is retarded. Hey, it's a it's a fabulous scan. I just want oh, to point sure. out to my friend Matt that Montana is looking a little wimpy there. I know, huh? <laughs> yeah, we've got to we got to do some building up in Montana. Not very yeah. much infrastructure. There's a spot Ma right where my house is. <laughs> yeah, Matt is doing his part. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Good old it's U of M, and that's about it. <laughs> 
but it, it's just cool that the guy did it. Too, oh, for know? sure, for sure. It's just—I don't know why. It's just totally cool. I like seeing more stuff like that. Um, do you yeah. guys want to get into the average lifespan of canceled Google services before we get out of here, or do we not care? Oh, yeah. Chris Miller, what do you think? Who cares? Good. About what? How well, long they're around? Yeah, do you yeah. trust putting your stuff there? Wait, wait, wait. If, if you haven't looked, did you look at the the uh, the thing I posted on the Roundup? Wait, what do you guys call it? The Roundup. Rundown. The Roundup. I like Roundup better. We're going to call the it the Roundup. No, did, what would you guess it to be? Of, of closed, of discontinued APIs and... I already service. looked at it, so I cheated, and I'm going to say no, four, four years. Wait, how, how long they're Say four or? years, Chris. Yeah, what's the average time they last before... Four years, Chris. No, not yeah. even four years. Safe. I would, yeah, I would it is. Four, four years. years. Yeah, four years. I would say it was shorter. Yeah, okay, that, I just... I would think it's shorter too because Google seems to have a way of just throwing some stuff out there. And but see you're talking good. average, and there's some services that have been around decades, right? Uh, yeah. You can look at the graphic. A guy at The Guardian, uh, I guess he was pissed about the closing off of uh, a breeder, and so he investigated it and, and published the distribution. Okay, I would just say, I, and I talked about this a little bit on uh, Tagging the Androids last night, but I was one of those angry people because I use Reader to connect a lot of third-party devices like Flipboard and BeyondPod and whatnot. I use Feedly. Feedly is totally awesome. Now the only thing left I have to be pissed at is the third-party app makers like BeyondPod and uh, Flipboard. If they don't change their API access to go from Google Reader to Feedly or something else. Because now it's on them, basically. Like, I found a different one. Reader's going away, so change it. It's like a Seismic had access for Google Buzz in it for, like, oh, years. Yeah. You remember that? Like, years yeah. after Buzz got killed off. And it's like, really, guys? And, I mean, now we know why, obviously, because Hootsuite bought them. They're like, well, we're not updating this. You saw what Dig said, right? What's up? You didn't see what Dig announced? No. What's Dig? I heard rumors. That I forgot about Dig, honestly. Yeah. Well, that they're they are going in and building a RSS consumer, you know, reader. An open build. source reader, or no? Not open source, but basically they want to get back into the business of being a destination site. So they're going to hmm. be building a reader. Yeah, Google's opened up that possibility. To... What, why didn't Google open source it? From what I understand, they had a lot of proprietary code in there that they couldn't let out to the public that uh, was incorporated into readers, so they couldn't open source enough of it to make it worthwhile without divulging too much of their code that they didn't want out there, so they just didn't. That's just what I heard, one one rumor. Chris, so. did Dig actually, I've heard that rumor. They actually committed that they're going to do it. I believe they. I, the article I read said they, they're going in and doing it. Cool. Have at it, Dig. Yeah, really. Yeah, that's cool. All right. Well, I think that's a show. Thanks, everybody. It's been awesome as always. Uh, like I said at the start, every Wednesday night, yetanothertechshow.com. Check it out. There's a Yats TV. That's where we broadcast these onto. They're embedded, and they're embedded at the end of each episode post that Aunt Pruitt generously writes for us every week. Hold on. Can I can I can I say this? Yes, say this, say that. On the, on the Dig blog, a few days ago announced we're reprioritizing our product roadmap in order to build an RS. Good. Andy oh, crash. Andy crash. and burn. He got so fail. Crash. Chris Miller. That's good. We the got fail. the gist of it. Oh no! Wait, he's back. 
what happened? I'm still. I haven't left. You I froze, bro. You totally froze. On the dig on the dig blog itself, it says they are building it from scratch. That's cool. That'll be interesting to see. Definitely. They gotta get it running before what is it June or something? When uh, do you think Reddit's gonna do that too? Now they're gonna be like us too. Oh, give me a break. Wait, us too. And Tumblr, us too. Don't forget. You know, me and me and my girlfriend got sucked into watching the uh, that series about if websites were people. <laughs> it's like it shows like the dating website and if it was a person. I don't know. You guys should check those out. We'll put. I'll I'll give them to Ant so he can link to them at the end of the show notes. Something entertaining to take you out with. They're so okay. funny. They're so funny. There's one that's like Tumblr and then there's Facebook and Google and Amazon and yeah, there's a bunch. So, all right, yet another texture.com. Subscribe in iTunes, leave us a review, leave us a message, 406-204-4687. Email the crew at yetanothertexture.com. Check out the website. Join us in the Google Plus community. I really want to push that because Google Plus added in their latest app update, resharing to communities. So I'm using that a lot more, and it would be awesome if everyone got on there and uh, we talked tech throughout yep. the week because that's Let's what we do. tech. Join us tomorrow evening for Point and Shoot, Ant's smartphone photographer hangout. And yes, sir. Chris Miller, when is your show? He froze again. You know what? Screw it. Thanks for listening, guys. Peace out. <laughs>